welcome everybody joining us online. We are kicking off a brand new series tonight. That is right, Therapy, where if there was ever a time our world needed therapy, we have arrived in it. And uh, we're going to be taking week by week, going through therapy sessions, if you will, and walking through mental health, anxiety, depression, what it looks like to be healthy in this space. This series was planned even before COVID ever arrived. We planned this uh, back in 2019, and just as God would have it, here we are. And so we're going to walk through what it looks like to address mental health from God's Word. Let me give you a, a unique experience of anxiety that happened to me once in my life. It was moments or hours really after I had gotten married. So the wedding went off without a hitch. My wife, Callie, here's a picture of her. She looked beautiful. You know, the wedding went great. The Shanes sang at it. JP, a close friend, did the wedding. The reception was awesome. It was, a, it was just a great night. And, uh, and we got married. And I woke up the next morning and I was flooded with an emotion I did not expect to have. It was the emotion of anxiety. Now, let me explain how I kind of got there. My one contribution to the wedding and, you know, this whole process as the groom was the honeymoon. In other words, as, you know, you would probably guess if you are uh, a girl, typically the bride is the, you know, heavy lifter as it relates to invitations, decorations, all that stuff. But my one responsibility was a honeymoon. So I was not going to blow it. I had a friend in my life at that time, give me a piece of advice. I'm not sure it's biblical advice, but he said, hey, look, son, there's two things that you can't spend too much money on, an engagement ring and a honeymoon. And although that is clearly not biblical and sounds like the advice Kim Kardashian or someone would give, it was advice that I took to heart. And I was like, I'm going big, as big as a seminary student working at a church could go. So I got as good of a ring as I could. And I researched like crazy. We were going to go to the best honeymoon spot possible. So I found this place. It was like a boutique, gourmet, all-inclusive, amazing resort that, you know, you had your own private butler, 1,250 square foot rooms. You had your own private pool. It was amazing. And I just broke the bank saying, we're going all in on this thing together. And so finally the wedding came. And like I said, I woke up the next day and I was flooded with anxiety. Not because of who I had married or being worried over, you know, the decision I made. I was totally thankful and excited about being married to Callie. I was anxious about the honeymoon. And not because I forgot to pay a bill or forgot something to do. Because I was worried about one question. What are we going to do for the next eight days. We were going for eight days to a very secluded 60 room boutique. There wasn't a lot of nightlife. There wasn't any nightlife. And I'm a very active person, like an extra extrovert. I like to be on the go. Don't rest well, not a fan of massages. So the idea of kind of laying around all the time with literally a guy on the beach that would like play a harp and you sit in your bed all day. It was terrifying to me. And I began to like throw through this plate. like, what are we going to do? I'm going to be stuck completely excluded from society. I barely even know this woman. We've been married for 12 hours and we're going to be entirely cut off from everything. What am I going to do? Thankfully, I had included a buffer day after our, our marriage or after we got married on Saturday night, a buffer day that uh, would allow us to, you know, kind of relax before leaving for the honeymoon on Monday morning. Pro tip, I really recommend a buffer day. It's just my thing. So anyways, on that buffer day, as I'm hit with anxiety, I'm like, man, I need to figure out what we're going to do. So I begin to think through and reach for, well, maybe we could do this, do this. I go to Barnes and Noble. I buy, no joke, 12 books. I don't know what I was thinking. It definitely increased the weight of my luggage that I was carrying on. Maybe I was thinking, I'll just make this an educational trip or something. That didn't calm my anxiety. So then I called AT&T. I was like, I need the biggest data international because we were going international, international package that you have. I'm going to be cut off. I better have service so that I at least have access to the outside world. 
That didn't calm my anxiety, so I just began to download every movie that I could on my computer, on her computer, thinking, if nothing else, I guess we'll just, you know, catch up on movies we haven't seen, like Gone with the Wind and Forever, or whatever movie, and, uh, and we'll just make this, have a backup of time. None of that calm my anxiety. At some point, I like broke down in tears to my wife, which I, it sounds ridiculous because it is ridiculous. Or I'm like sitting there having a borderline closest thing to a panic attack I've ever had going, I just don't know what we're going to do for the next eight days. And, and crying in front of her, which had to make her really feel excited that her new husband is now crying about spending eight days with her in a foreign destination and only her. And like, part of me was like, I wonder, you know, can I bring a buddy like my, my groomsman or something? And uh, it just was crazy and irrational. But in that moment, I did what anxiety does. It makes us reach for anything that can give us relief. Oftentimes, because anxiety makes us irrational, it makes us reach for irrational things or things that often don't help our anxiety. In the midst of feeling overwhelmed or anxious, people can turn to different vices or turn to pornography or turn to alcohol or turn to marijuana. We just turn to a codependent relationship. Anything that will give us relief. And sadly... Relief is seldomly experienced, but God loves you. And he talks a lot about anxiety. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna spend more than one message or session in this therapy series on anxiety before we jump into another topic because it's such a big issue in our culture and there's not enough that we could do to cover it in one single night. If you've ever felt anxiety, you are normal and you are right in line. If you've never felt anxiety, you do not live on planet earth and I'm not sure how you're listening to this right now because for the rest of us, At some point, we experience fear, anxiousness, anxiety. The American Psychological Association has said that America is the most anxious country on the planet. There was a gold medal given out for most anxious. We would win it year after year. 60%, according to the American Psychiatric Association, found that two and three, sorry, young adult, or two and three Americans were anxious or extremely anxious. That means most of us. In fact, millennials or young adults and generation right behind them, Gen Z, 70% of young adults between the ages of 18 to 34 describe themselves as anxious and increasingly anxious. And these were taken before COVID ever happened. Prescriptions for anti-anxiety medication in the last 15 years have quadrupled in our country. Anxiety seems to really be getting worse. There's a study done that found that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. This is not a problem, anxiety, that's going away. It seems to, if anything, be getting worse. Much of which people think is probably because of the rapid change. Like we live in a world where everything's constantly changing and we're being bombarded uh, all around us with how the world is constantly in turmoil. One study found that in the last 30 years, Culture has changed as much as the previous 300 combined. And change can be stressful, anxiety producing. And if that wasn't enough, then you have the young adult years. And the reason why this, I think it makes sense, why this time in our life would be even more anxiety producing is because it's a time where you're making so many of the major decisions that you're gonna make in life. One study found that 80% of the major decisions you're gonna make are made between the ages of 18 to 35. Who you're gonna marry, the career path you're gonna be on, where you're gonna live, shaping the person you're gonna be. And those are huge decisions. There's not a clear playbook on, yes, I'm supposed to or not marry her or what am I supposed to do? We have God's word, but it's not always black and white on, should I work here, take this job or this job? So of course, anxiety is gonna spike. But what if for Christians, it doesn't have to? 
And our heart in this series is for us to look at God's word and give practical truths, practical things that we can reach for in those moments of anxiety that are not an international data plan or you know, books at Barnes and Noble, but things that actually will help us. Because here's what I know. All of us have experienced anxiety. You will experience anxious feelings. But I also know that no one wants to. No one is like, hey, God, you can have everything in my life and I'm keeping this for me. I'm not giving up my anxiety or my anxious feelings. Like, I want to hold on to this as long as I can. Nobody wants that. All of us, if we could push a button, we would hit it and say, God, take this from me. And the good news is God doesn't want you to carry that. And throughout scripture, as we'll see in the next few weeks, he's given clear instructions on how you and I can begin to experience relief from anxiety. Tragically, I think the church has failed as it relates to mental health in a lot of ways. Failed as it relates to anxiety. And that's an issue that if someone struggles with it, too often our response is to go, hey man, you have struggled with depression or with anxiety. You need to go to a counselor or a psychiatrist. You need to go get help from therapists. And so God's word, the Bible, and God's people don't have anything to offer. My wife is a counselor. She's a licensed professional counselor. I've talked about that before. I absolutely believe in what she does and love it. But even she would say, and any Christian counselor or counselor who's a Christian worth their salt or worth their weight or knows what they're talking about would say for a Christian, God's word should always be the first line of defense. And beyond that, you, shouldn't, you never outgrow it. It should be the thing that we turn to first and foremost. And I think more than... Often Christians don't because either they're told, you know, they're pushed in a direction of go find help somewhere else or they don't understand what the Bible teaches. I don't think a lot of pastors really break down and teach well what the Bible teaches on anxiety. So you may have heard something like this. Hey, the Bible says, hey, don't be anxious, just stop. Or don't be anxious, just pray. All of which, you know, neither of which are, are bad things, but they don't work and that's not what the Bible teaches. Here's what's true. If you could just stop being anxious, you would have already. All of us would. The good news is the Bible is way more practical, way more helpful. And it's way more transformative principles and truths in it. That if you and I apply them, they're that, just that. They're transforming in our life. We're going to look at one of them tonight. We're going to talk about the idea of, of uh, recognizing your anxiety. Recognizing. Because before you can do anything to address it, you have to recognize it. So we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to walk through three steps that are the first steps for you to experience peace or move down the path of peace. And it involves recognizing your anxiety. The first step is recognize what you're really anxious about. Second, being recognize what it is rooted in. I'll explain and unpack all those. And then recognize what God says about those roots. I already said this will be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which was a sermon that was written and called Sermon on the Mount. Anybody know? You guys got to start reading your Bible, people. This is my staff team. They didn't even know. Because Jesus taught it from a mountainside. And he launches into a conversation about lots and lots of topics. He brings up, you know, anger and wrath and, and lust and, and how to handle relationships. And in the middle of it, he brings up anxiety. As though... People have been anxious for a long time. As long as there was people, there was anxiety and worry. And Jesus launches into a conversation and says some tremendously helpful and really profound things that counseling and psychology today is catching up with. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Let me hit pause. The word anxious, just quickly, uh, is a word that means to meditate or dwell on anxious or fearful thoughts. In other words, it's not Jesus and he's saying, hey, don't be anxious. He's not saying, hey, never have an anxious thought. That's impossible. If you thought that's what the Bible teaches, that's not what he's saying. The word is the word merim now. It's a word that means meditate. In other uh, literature, it's used as meditation. When Jesus says, hey, don't meditate, or don't make a practice in your life meditating on fearful and anxious thoughts. Who would disagree with that? Like if you're quick to dismiss, like, oh, Jesus just said, don't be anxious. No, he said, don't meditate on anxious and fearful thoughts. Who in the world would disagree with that? Who would be like, no, that, that's crazy. He would tell me to do that. I love meditating on anxious thoughts. That's what changed my life. Started getting up every morning. I spend the first 15 minutes meditating on everything negative, fearful, and anxious that I can that could possibly happen that day. And ever since then, I've been a new man. No, that's insane. Jesus is saying what all of us know. It's not a good use of time or your life to spend time meditating on fearful and anxious thoughts about what you will eat or what you will drink. Now, he addresses what his audience was worried about. To us, he would say, hey, don't spend time meditating on how much longer you're gonna be single. Don't spend time meditating on focus on like, what if I never end up getting married or what if I never have kids or what if I don't get the job and maybe my roommate's gonna move out and what if I end up getting corona and what? Don't spend time meditating and focusing on those things. They're gonna pop in your head. But you have a decision whether or not you're gonna choose to grab on and dwell on them. And he says, don't do that. And he addresses their worries. To us, he would bring up whatever you're anxious about. Your parents' relationship not working out. How much is in your bank account and whether or not you're gonna have enough. Whether you're on track to retire at the age you want. Whether the relationship is gonna work out. He's not saying don't care. He's not saying don't be responsible. Do both of those. But he's saying you don't have to focus and meditate and dwell. And he's saying don't do that. And then he asked a question that I think is so profound. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Again, he brings up their worries to us. He would say, isn't life more than getting married? Isn't life more than having that uh, new job? Isn't life more than getting a pay raise? Isn't life more than driving the right car? Isn't life more than owning a home? Isn't life, whatever you're worried about. It's not that those things are unimportant. But it's a really brilliant question. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think Jesus asks that question? Like, see, he's sitting there in front of an audience. He says, hey, you're, you're spending so much time dwelling and focusing on whether or not you have enough to eat or whether or not you may run out of clothes, just what you're spending your life on. Isn't life so much more than those things? Do you think Jesus is really looking for an answer? Like, is he like, guys, I don't know. Is, life, is that all life is about? No. It's safe to assume he's Jesus, which means he's God, so he knows the answer. It's a brilliant question, because what does that question do? It forces his audience to put into perspective the object of their anxiety, their worry. Because the answer it leads to is, well, no, I mean, life is more than food. In other words, like, no one here would say that, you know, all that life is about is making sure you got enough food, as long as you have enough grain for the rest of your life. That's the epitome of a great life. No one would say that. It's an important part of life, but doesn't equal life. Just like for us, we'd go, yeah, I mean, no, marriage doesn't equal life. It's an important part and it would be a great part, but no, it's possible to live a good life and not be married like Jesus did or like Paul did. It forces, when you think about it, it puts into perspective, like you guys are spending all of your life focused on what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna eat? 
Where am I going to work? Where am I going to work? And you're actually giving your life away for something that's draining and sucking and choking the life out of you. The word worry or anxiety in English comes from a German word that means to choke out. And Jesus' point is like, don't spend and focus your life or give your life focused on worrying or dwelling on negative thoughts. It's his attempt to help them better recognize, that's our word, recognize your anxiety, to see it more clearly than it is. Because here's what happens when we get worried or anxious. It becomes really hard to see anything other than the thing I'm anxious about. I leave a presentation at work. I leave wondering, what did my boss think about me? And I begin to think of like, oh, I bet they didn't like me at all. I bet I'm going to get fired for my job. I better update my LinkedIn you know, profile picture. I never know what my LinkedIn password is. Where am I going to? It begins to be like, all I can think about is that. And Jesus is just trying to pull his audience back to see more clearly. The mind is a funny thing, especially as it relates to anxiety. It like quickly can take something really small and blow it up really big. I was told, or I read recently, that a single glass of water is enough to create a dense fog that's 100 feet tall and seven city blocks wide. Like if you're in New York City, or you've ever been, ever been to a big city, and you've got seven blocks, you know, you're on the, the grid system, seven blocks long, 100 feet tall, one glass of water stretched into millions and millions and millions and millions of droplets. It's really a picture of what fear and what our mind can do with fearful and anxious thoughts. Once a thought comes into the fog machine of fear, it gets stretched and pulled and pulled in every different direction. And so all of a sudden it's like, man, we had a really bad date. I thought this relationship was gonna go somewhere. That enters into the fog machine of fear and I begin to go, oh my gosh, I'm gonna end up breaking up with him. He's probably the last chance I got. I got no one else after him. I'm gonna be the single cat lady for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden this interaction that you had as you were leaving a date becomes, I'm gonna be alone forever and ever. Your roommate's moving out and it enters into the fog machine of fear. And all of a sudden the thought goes from, what am I going to do once my roommate moves out to be able to afford rent? Because I'm splitting it now. How am I going to afford? That thought enters the fog machine of fear in our minds and it comes to, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to live here. If I don't find somebody, I'm going to end up getting kicked to the curb because I can't afford my lease. I need to find somebody to live with. I don't know anyone who needs a place to live right now. Maybe I could look on Facebook or post something or post something on Craigslist. That feels like a recipe for having a psychotic person move in and murder me in my sleep, my options are be murdered in my sleep or be homeless. And all of a sudden, this, what am I going to do? Enters in and gets stretched and stretched and stretched. But listen, listen, listen. What if it doesn't have to? What if it was possible in that moment to see your fear more clearly? To see it not as a huge fog, but as a glass of water? Jesus' attempt with his audience here, is to do just that. To help them recognize, why are you anxious? What's really behind that? Because once you get it down to a glass of water, it's still there. You still have to find a roommate. You still may have had a date that didn't you know, end as well as you wanted to. But it's a lot easier to deal with. And it deflates some of the power that it has on it. Jesus did what counselors today, like I said earlier, my wife is a counselor. And if you go see her, she would do, or many counselors do something similar, where they try to ask questions with the goal of deflating the power of your worry. If you express, like, I'm anxious about this, they'll, they'll ask you questions and help you try to recognize more and more and see more clearly about 
or see more clearly the thing that you're anxious about. And I'll explain what I mean, but I'm about to give you $120 an hour worth of counseling right now for free. So if you just tuned in, it's at least worth your time because you're about to get what it would take $120 or cost you 120 bucks for free right now. Let's say you went in and you were anxious because you know, there's a lot of layoffs going on right now with, with COVID and with business and with all of that. And you went to see a counselor because you were anxious about losing your job. And you sat down with that counselor and you were like, man, I'm just, I'm anxious about whether or not I'm gonna be able to keep my job or I may get laid off, there's layoffs coming. The counselor would sit down and she'd say, or he'd say, what happens if you get laid off? And you begin to go, well, I'm, I wouldn't be able to afford rent and I'd have to move out of where I'm living and I probably would have to move back in with my parents. And they'd respond with, what happens if you have to move back in with your parents? Well, then I'd feel like, you know, a total failure. And I, I would, you know, everyone's going to be like, I'm the guy who failed in life. And I moved back in with my parents and I'm 28 years old. And all of a sudden my life, like I'm just a failure. You know, what's funny in that made up storyline that I just gave there, he goes in and he thinks I'm anxious about losing my job. He's really anxious about being seen as a failure. Or he's really anxious about what other people think about him. In order for him to address and face or fight his anxiety, he's got to be able to face what he's actually anxious about. In other words, he's anxious over what others think. If he's going to chase down and experience freedom from that, he's got to be able to see what am I actually anxious about? The first idea from this, from this text, as I already said, was recognizing what am I anxious about, really? Jesus over and over throughout the Gospels, asks really funny questions to his disciples. On multiple occasions, there's like, like scary stuff going on. They're on a boat in Matthew chapter eight, and we're told that, I mean, these are all professional, professional fishermen, Jesus' disciples, or most of them were. Like, they've been on a boat, they get it, they've been in rocky waters, and we're told this storm that was crazy. It was like an earthquake, the text says, on the water was out there. And Jesus is asleep in the middle of the boat on a pillow. That's what we're told in the verses. And they're over there, and all the disciples are panicking, freaking out, and they wake up Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we're all going to die. And he wakes up, wipes the sleep out of his eyes and says, peace. Be still. And he tells the wind and waves and water to stop like he's talking to a toddler. And everything stops. Then he asks a really interesting question. He looks at his guys and says, why are you afraid? Jesus, you're God, so you know everything anyways. Why would you ask a question like that? That's like, hey, there's an earthquake happening and tough stuff tumbling all around us and we're all terrified and all of a sudden it stops and you come up and you're like, why were you afraid? Because I'm in an earthquake and things are falling all around. What you, well, that's an insensitive, dumb question. Why are you even asking that? Jesus was helping his disciples see. What are you afraid of? My guess is they would say of dying. Why are you afraid of dying? I've already told you, you're going to be with me forever and ever and ever. You know that I'm in control of everything, including the wind and the waves and every day that you live. Why are you afraid? The same question you've got to chase down. If you experience anxiety every time, there's something beneath the surface. So you've got to know, why am I afraid? What am I anxious about really? Most, maybe a really helpful exercise would be for you to sit down and go, I'm anxious about because blank. I'm anxious about because blank. I'm anxious to talk at my workplace because I'm afraid of what my boss will think. Because I'm afraid my idea might not be great. 
I'm anxious about getting married because I'm afraid I'm going to get divorced like my parents. I'm anxious about being single the rest of my life because I'm afraid I'm going to die alone. In order for you to address any of those anxieties, and we're going to talk about how to address them, you at first have to recognize and be willing to accept them. You cannot address what you won't accept. And too many Christians try to pretend like I'm not anxious about something. Often because other Christians tell them, like, you need to stop being anxious and stop worrying about things, which is not helpful. They would stop if they could. And telling them stop doesn't help them. No one has ever told me the story of like, you know what fixed my anxiety? Shame. I just had people around me saying, you should be ashamed of yourself for being anxious. No. People who tell them like, you should stop being anxious. That just makes them more anxious about the fact they're anxious. So here's what I want you, I want you to accept. You may have never heard somebody ever tell you that before. Accept your anxiety so that you can address it. Hiding it or pretending it's not there is not more spiritual. It's living in denial. Denial. What are you anxious about? Really? Step two. So once you know, now the roots of your anxiety. Now it involves saying, uh, I'm going to address what's underneath those. Anxiousness, fear, and worry, they're all emotions. So every time I experience the emotion of worry or anxiety, it's an emotion. Here's what you got to know about emotions. This is going to be thinking cap on, and we're going to move through quickly the root of your anxiety, like what's underneath it? Because you can't fix it if you don't address the roots. Emotion or anxiety is an emotion. Every emotion you experience involves the intersection of two things. It involves something you believe intersecting with something you value. You cannot experience emotion and you cannot experience anxiety because anxiety is an emotion without it involving something I believe about something I value. You can't experience freedom from anxiety without addressing something you believe intersecting with something you value because it's an emotion. Uh, let me explain because you're probably like, what is it really? Let me think of an example. Every time you feel anxiety, there's something you value its place. So when I go outside today, when I get home or tonight or tomorrow, um, if I see a squirrel running in the street, I feel nothing. I'm not anxious. I don't feel anything. Even if I wanted to feel anxious, I wouldn't feel anxiety. I would feel like, oh, it's a squirrel. That's what they do. It's kind of their thing. They run back and forth. They look for acorns or whatever they do. I would feel nothing. If I see a child that I value way more than a squirrel running in the street, I'm going to feel fear, concern. I'm going to run towards him, say, get out of the street. Could be a car coming. When I see my child, something of incredible value to me, something I value, running in the street, I feel tremendous fear. It's going to move me out of that emotion to act, to yell, to run, and pull them out of the street because I feel something I value is being threatened. It also involves a belief. What do I mean by that? I mean, like if I see my wife with our kids, they're out in the front yard, they're walking through the lawn, you know, on our grass, and she's walking towards what I believe is a snake. And I see it from afar, and I see what I believe is a snake intersecting with someone I value, my wife. I'm going to feel anxiety and yell, don't go closer, that's a snake. Because something I value is intersecting about something I believe it could be or it is a snake. Here's what's really interesting. This is really profoundly helpful as it relates to anxiety. Whether or not it is a snake doesn't matter. If I believe it is, I, or I believe it could be, I'll feel anxiety. It's not about what's true, whether it is a snake or not. It's about what I believe or what I believe could be true. 
So if you're going to conquer, if you want to experience freedom from anxiety, if you want to take steps in the direction of peace, you're going to have to address, what am I believing and what am I valuing underneath this? Like what is informing this? And if you do, you will begin to experience freedom or more peace every time you feel anxiety that's underneath there. Here, and here's further why this is important. You, what you believe and what you value, even if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we're all a byproduct of the world environment, the family we grew up in. Like we were shaped, we didn't even know. Like none of us woke up today and was like, you know what, I believe some things and I think I value some things. They were formed our entire life. You were raised in a family where they never told you, believe money is the most important thing, son. But you heard phrases like, son, the most important thing you can do is get a good job that's stable to be able to put food on the table. And you heard most important thing I can do. And somewhere along the line, you began to go like that. That is the most important thing I can do. And now if your job is threatened or money is threatened, because you some point picked up and it began to impact the way you think, what you believe, you feel anxiety because you were shaped by parents or by people, by friends who said, hey, this is the most important thing. And now you're anxious if it's threatened. That's why two people can be in the same exact circumstance and one be anxious and one not because they have different beliefs, different values. You, some of you were raised in a home where you, know, you were taught conflict is a really bad thing. You, know, you don't fight, you never have conflict or your parents always hid it from you. Or you were raised in a home where they fought all the time. They, they fought in a way that wasn't healthy and it really scarred you. And now today, anytime you're in a dating relationship and you start having conflict, you get really anxious and you wanna leave the dating relationship because you believe that conflict is a bad thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says conflict can be a good thing. It's a chance to honor God and it's a chance to grow closer. But you picked up at some point without even knowing it Conflict is a bad thing, so now you feel anxiety. If you don't want to feel anxiety when you have conflict in a relationship, you won't just stop. You won't just, I won't anymore. You got to address, oh, I feel anxiety because I believe conflict is a bad thing. You have to address the roots that are underneath those if you want to experience freedom from anxiety. So quick recap, to remove anxious thoughts, we have to recognize what am I anxious about? Really, what am I anxious about? And then I have to recognize what are the roots? Like what are the beliefs? What am I believing and valuing? I'm anxious about getting married because I want to have kids because I, I don't think life is worth living if I don't have kids. Is that true? It's what you believe, but it may not be true. It's not true. Life is not worth living if you can't have kids. Jesus' life was not worth living. The Apostle Paul's life was not worth living. That's ridiculous. But somewhere in there, you may believe that. And so you've got to address, where am I believing a lie? How do I know if it's a lie? It gives us step three. You recognize what God says about those roots. I take all those beliefs. I take, I don't know that life is worth living if I don't have kids. What would the Bible say about that? And I take the Bible and I begin to put it up and go, oh, it says kids are a blessing from the Lord, but they're not the source of life. They're not even what life is about. You can have the abundant life and never have kids. Wow, I bought a lie. It says that money's not the source of security, God is. So now when my job is threatened, I don't have to experience anxiety. Or if I'm concerned about money, I'm not gonna experience anxiety because I am applying what the Bible says, which is God is the source of security 
and provision, not money. That's the truth. You may not believe it, which is why when, not, when your bank account goes up and down, you begin to get worried because you don't believe God is the ultimate source of provision. But that's the truth. And if you want to experience freedom from that anxiety you feel, you've got to go at those beliefs with the truth from God's word. Or you can just keep worrying. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we're about to land the plane. It says, the word of God. The Bible even says, hey, I was designed, God's word was designed to help you cut the roots of your anxious feelings. To get at them and give you freedom from them. It says, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces through even dividing the soul from spirit and joints from marrow. How cool does that sound? Braveheart. It's able to discern, listen to this. It is able to sift through or discern or judge the desires and the thoughts of the heart. The desires, that's the things you value. And the thoughts, that's the beliefs of your heart. It's able to go through and go, hey, this is actually a lie. That's not actually true. Conflict's not a bad thing. Hey, what other people think about you, it shouldn't own you and it shouldn't wreck you because you should be living according to the Bible in Galatians 1 for God and an audience of him. And other people, whether they think good about you or bad, it shouldn't wreck your life. And God ultimately controls even what people think about you. And you begin to take all those truths and all of a sudden, instead of anxiety when I'm leaving, I'm going, my job isn't the source of security in my life. God is. He owns everything there is. He could give me a million dollars tomorrow if he wanted to. Or he could just give me, you know, whatever a million could lead to. He's a source of provision, provision in my life because I'm attacking whatever lies are underneath there. And every time I experience anxiety right now, if you feel it this week, it tells you something you value, you believe is possibly threatened. And now I take all of that and I begin to go, what would God say about this? How does God's word inform this? That's why we're so big on community group. It's why we're big on like you being equipped because it takes work to know what does the Bible say? Go to watermark.org forward slash equipping if you're interested in knowing like, man, I want to know my Bible better to be able to do this better. Ultimately, it, it's like this. I hope you walk away from this message because it's just a starter. When I go to the mall, I hate going to the mall, by the way. Who likes going to the mall here? I bet you like going to the mall. You like going to the mall? You love going to the mall. Yeah, you do. No? Josiah? You love, yo. I hate going to the mall. Here's one of the reasons why. I don't know. I get this feeling every time I walk in there. It's like I can't breathe. It's like the walls are closing in. It's like a weird Vegas meets, you know, clothing everywhere. There's no windows anywhere. And I don't know where I'm going. And I go up one escalator and it just takes me to a top of another place. And I, I, I just like, I, I don't feel comfortable. It's probably like control issues where I don't know exactly where I am right now. And if I can avoid it, I avoid it. And I don't want to brag, it's been pretty successful in being able to avoid it. And that I do all of my shopping online. I don't go to the mall. I never go to the mall. I can't tell you the last time I even went shopping at the mall. <clears throat> With one exception, the Apple store. Every year, at some point, inevitably, you know, my, my screen on my phone will crack or something will happen. And I've so, you know, ingrained my life with Apple uh, that I have to end up going to the store because you can't just send it in. I have to go to the mall and I do the same thing every time. I never know where to park. So I'll call my wife, ask where do I park. If I can't get her on the phone, I'm like, well, I'll just roll the dice again. And I end up parking 
the entirely opposite direction of wherever the Apple store is. And I get out of the car and I go in there and try to figure out where do I go now. And I go up to uh, me and your grandma, go to the last physical map in society, that little kiosk thing. And it has a whole like map and double layers. And you're like, oh, where am I right now? Glasses on. And I try to figure out where am I? And every time I look at that map, I do two things. I look, where is the Apple store? And where am I? You know that little star that says you're here? I look, where is the Apple store and where am I? Because it's not just important of, oh, Apple store. That is of no value unless I know, oh, me. If I don't know where I am, I cannot get to where I want to be. This is how it is in terms of anxiety. If you don't recognize where you are, I'm anxious about this. I'm anxious about whether or not I'm going to have a job next year. I'm anxious about whether or not I'm going to be afford to continue to save. I'm anxious about whether or not this relationship's going to work out. If you're unwilling to say, this is where I am. I'm right here. I want to go right here. You're never going to get to where you want to go. You're never going to move in the direction of peace in that illustration because you won't accept where you are. And this entire first message is just, you've got to recognize, why am I anxious? Recognize, what are the roots below that anxiety? And then recognize, what would God's word say about that? If you want to experience freedom, that is not going to end it. It's not going to make every anxious feeling you ever have go away, but it will help you take a step because you can't get to where you want to go if you won't accept where you are and God's word in that map illustration, it's like God's word becomes the guiding line of, oh, this is what I need to do. It helps me understand how far off I am and how do I get to a place of peace? And it takes day by day by day, which is why at the end of this passage, Jesus says, it's gonna take one day at a time. One day at a time. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. It's got enough to worry about. You focus on today. First, you've got to recognize, what am I anxious about? Others of you, you need to recognize, and you're tuning in, the biggest thing you need to walk away with is not, hey, how do I get to where I want to be in terms of peace? You need to recognize that where you are in relationship with God is you have been separated and cut off because you've never accepted what Jesus did on the cross, dying for you. Why do I say you've been separated? The Bible teaches, our life experience shows us that anytime sin comes into a relationship, like you've wronged somebody, it hurts the relationship. All of us in our lives have sinned in a way over and over and over that it's hurt our relate. It's cut us off from a perfect, loving, holy God. That's where you are on the map. The good news is God sent his son into the world so that you wouldn't have to be separated from him. He could bring you home. But the only way that you could be reconnected or restored, end up at the place you want to be is by putting your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you. For me, he died for everything you ever did and he paid for it. And what you need to walk away is not, how do I not be anxious? But how can I have eternal life? Because you're gonna keep being anxious in this life because the biggest thing that you should worry about is no one or you are the person who's paying for your sins and you don't have enough in the bank to pay for them. God already paid more than enough and he's invited you, trust in me. And you'll experience peace in this life and for all of eternity as you walk with me and eventually for all of eternity. If that's where you are, tonight is your night. And by faith, you can just say, God, I'm a sinner. I trust you. I want your help. I want you to do therapy in my life. And I want you to restore me to a relationship with you. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every person listening right now. Anxiety is such a huge part of all of our lives at times and many of us right now. Would you pierce through 
our fear. Help us see you through the midst of all of it. Help us to be willing to accept, I'm anxious about this, and then help us to be diligent and earnest to address what does God's word say about this? Or am I maybe believing a lie? I'm afraid of losing something that you say is important, but it's not all that life is about. Would you help me? Would you help my friends? Would you be more real than the fear right now? We love you. Thank you for Jesus, who's made a way for all of us to get back to relationship with you forever. The one who wants us to experience peace, the one called the Prince of Peace. Would we walk with him and experience that now? Amen.